And so this morning, I'm going to start a new sermon series uh, with all of you. This is something that uh, I didn't envision doing, right, like in this way, but I'm still happy that we get to focus on a sermon series that we have titled, This is Our King. And we are going to be focusing on why Jesus, because of the king that he is, deserves all of our allegiance, affection, and devotion. And my prayer is that for those of you that have committed your life to Christ, as we consider the type of king Jesus is, it's going to propel you to worship in new ways this Easter season. And you're going to be reminded of why you have placed your hope in Christ. And for those of you that are watching or will be watching that are not yet followers of Christ, my prayer is that you're going to gain a, a clear picture of who Jesus is and you're going to be able to see how much he loves you. And I'm praying that that will compel you to surrender your life uh, to Jesus this Easter season. And so I also am praying that as we spend time together over the next couple of weeks that, well, I guess as we spend time together through video, that as we focus on Jesus as King, it's going to infuse all of us with hope and courage and confidence as we continue to navigate this coronavirus storm. My prayer is that we would not just survive it, but that we would thrive in the midst of it. And so we're going to be going over in these subsequent Sundays why Jesus is such an amazing king. This morning, we're going to focus on one of those reasons, and it is this. Jesus is a servant king. And so why don't you pray with me? Uh, I hope you're cozy and at home. I hope you have your cup of coffee with you and, and pray with me now. And then we'll check out the passage we're going to be camped out in this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is so wonderful that we get to, even through video, connect with each other and connect to you. And more than anything that all of us need during this time is you, your presence, your love, your care, your direction, your wisdom, your guidance. Lord, I pray that as we consider who you are as a king, that we would be amazed, that we'd be drawn to you in deeper ways, and that our hearts would just be overwhelmed with, with joy, knowing who you are and how much you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the passage that uh, we're going to be looking at this morning is John 13, verses 1 through 17. I thought it would be good for me to read that passage to you. If you have a Bible at home, open it up, uh, get to John 13, and you can follow along there. So here's, here's God's word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, 
and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is obeyed need, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Look, hey, we live in a world where... Um, people in power use their power to amass more power or to protect the power that we have. Uh, news headlines constantly reveal people in positions of power that utilize it for their own benefit. Um, I, just recently, there's been some news headlines that give us examples of this. These are some examples that come to mind. I think of Harvey Weinstein, and he's the movie producer that really dominated Hollywood uh, for decades. And, and it came out that he was using his power and his status to mistreat and abuse many women. Another headline that, that I think of is the college admission scandal, right? You have these wealthy, powerful people, high status people lying and cheating to get their kids into our nation's top universities. I think of Kim Jong-un, the North Korean uh, dictator who uses his power uh, to benefit himself. And when he perceives any threat of power, any threat to his power, those people seem to just come up missing, right? And so this is the world we live in, where people, they're, they're constantly trying to build their platform, they're trying to increase their brand, they're trying to leverage their power to get more power or to protect the power that they have. If you work in corporate America, unfortunately, you know this very well, right? Corporate America is full of people that are looking to step on the guy next to them so that they can climb the corporate ladder, right? And they get rid of people that they perceive to be a threat to their own status. The saying, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, unfortunately, is very 
very true. Jesus's world, it was the same as ours. In fact, Jesus said that the rulers in his day, they lorded it over people, meaning they used their power, their wealth, their influence to uh, protect their power and to garner more power for themselves. And they used the subs, their subjects that they were leading to that end. And that's why John 13 is was it was so shocking in Jesus's day and it's why because of the world we live in is like Jesus's day is so shocking to us Jesus unlike the powerful people of his day and our day he came to serve not to be served and as he did that especially in John 13 he teaches us four things that I want to talk about this morning with all of you uh, here they are. Jesus teaches us what true serving is, why it's important to engage in true serving, where we can get the strength to truly serve, and what we should expect when we engage in service. So let's start with what true serving is. And I want to offer you this definition, and then I'll explain how I got to that definition from the passage that I've read to you. So here's the definition. According to Jesus, true serving is setting aside your rights and privileges to leverage the power you have to seek the welfare of another person. True, ser true ser <laughs> truly serving is setting aside your rights and privileges to leverage the power you have to seek the welfare of another person. And this is precisely what we see Jesus doing in the passage that I read, right? Jesus knew what was coming to him. He knew as he was washing his disciples' feet that one of his disciples was about to betray him, a man that he had spent the last three years with, traveling with, ministering with. Jesus knew that in just a few hours, that betrayal was going to lead to his arrest, which would lead to him being tortured through the night into the next morning. And then he would be crucified the next day. If you were to read beyond the passage that I read to you, and if you were to get to John 13, 21, you would read that Jesus was troubled in spirit. Now, the Greek word that is translated trouble in John 13, 21 is the Greek word terasso. And it also means not only trouble, but it also means to cause one an inward commotion, to take away calmness of mind, make restless, to strike one's spirit with fear and dread, to render anxious or distressed, to perplex the mind of one by suggesting doubts. And so Jesus, he's got all this commotion going on inside of him, and he has this knowledge regarding what's about to happen to him. And you would think, I mean, imagine being in that situation. You would think that Jesus would be all about having his disciples serve him in that moment. You would think that Jesus would be all about storing up his energy for what was about to take place. You would think that he would do whatever he could to enjoy this last meal that he was having with his disciples, and he doesn't do any of it. What he does 
is so unthinkable. He got up, he laid aside his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water into a basin, and then proceeded to wash the dirty, stinky, sandal-wearing, dirt road-walking feet of his disciples. That's what Jesus decided to do. You need to know that foot washing was common back in Jesus' day. It was a token of hospitality when you had somebody into your home. Next time I go to one of your homes, I'm expecting you to wash my feet. Just, just saying. However, you need to know that it was considered a very menial, lowly kind of task um, for a person to do. And that's why it was reserved for the slaves of the household. In fact, Jew some Jewish people saw it as such a, degrade, a degrading act to perform that they didn't even let their Jewish slaves wash their feet. They reserved that for their non-Jewish slaves. Perhaps an equivalent today would be cleaning, hand cleaning, porta pots. Ill, right? And Peter's response to Jesus' act of service reveals how shocked Peter was and most likely the other disciples. John 13, 6 says, Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? John 13, 8 says, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Peter was saying, look, look, Jesus, I am not worthy to have you wash my feet. You are holy. I am not. You deserve to have me wash your feet. Far be it from me, Jesus, to let you be degraded in such a way that you would be treated as a slave and have to wash my feet. Now, what Peter was thinking was, was surely true. I mean, as the sinless son of God, the one in whom the whole world was created through, the, the one who is above all principalities and powers, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, I mean, Jesus, he deserved everywhere he went to have people immediately bow down on their face and worship him. And so Peter was right. He was the Jesus here, the Son of God. I mean, he should have been living in a castle, enjoying all these privileges and benefits and having a whole army of people serving him in every way, every day. And here, Jesus is allowing himself to be treated like a slave. And what we're seeing here in John 13 is what Jesus had been doing his entire earthly public ministry of three years, laying aside his rights and privileges, using his power to seek the welfare of others, in this case, his disciples. His disciples needed their stinky feet to be washed, and so Jesus was willing to do it. Here's the thing, though. Um, well, let me just add this. He even washed Judas's feet. Think about that. The guy that's about to betray him, Jesus, the God of the universe, washing his feet. But the stinky feet of the disciples was not the only thing that the disciples needed washed. You see, Jesus' Jesus's act of washing his disciples' feet 
What Jesus was doing was foreshadowing what he was about to do because Jesus was about to do something even crazier, even more unimaginable, even more unthinkable. He was about to serve his disciples in the entire world in, in an even greater act of, of service. And that's why Jesus said to Peter and the disciples in John 13, 7 and 8, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. You see, the next time that Jesus would lay aside his garments, the next time he would do that would be when he would be treated even worse than a slave. The sinless one would be treated as the worst of criminals are treated. He would be stripped naked and hung on a cross to suffocate and die. Both the Jews and the Romans of Jesus' day consider crucifixion the most humiliating way for a person to die. So why did Jesus do this? Why was he willing to be treated not just as a slave, but as the worst of criminals and go through with being executed on a cross? To cleanse his disciples of their sin record that kept them alienated from God and living under God's life-giving rule. That's what the foot washing was for shadowing. And the disciples didn't understand it at the time, but later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, they would. Now here's the thing. Like Jesus' disciples, we can have no part with Jesus living in his kingdom under his good, loving, wise rule unless we are cleansed from our sin record that separates us from God and keeps us alienated from him. You see, our greatest need, your greatest need, whether you're aware of it or not, is to be reconciled to God. Because once we are reconciled to God, then his life-giving power can start to flow into the other aspects of our life that need to be renewed and restored. The physical aspects of our life, the psychological aspects of our life, the emotional aspects of our life, the social dimensions of our life. You see, unless we are made right with God, Try as we may, these other aspects of our life are not going to be right. Thankfully, Jesus' death, it does, it has, it, it cleanses us from all past sin, all present sin, and all future sin. Because on the cross, when he was treated as the worst of criminals, all of my sin, your sin, was placed on him and he was punished as our sin deserved to be punished in our place. And when we believe in Jesus and when we repent and turn from our sin and commit our life to following him, his death is credited to our account. His death that paid for sin is credited to our account, which wipes away our sin record and gives us forgiveness. What's more is not only is Jesus' death credited to our account, but when we repent and believe and put our trust in Christ, his perfect life 
is credited to our account. And so God can accept us into his kingdom and his family because he sees Christ's righteousness when he looks at us. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sent for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, on one hand, Peter was right. Jesus didn't deserve to be treated like a slave as Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13. But Peter was wrong if he thought that Jesus engaging in that act of service degraded Jesus and demeaned Jesus. It actually did quite the opposite. It showed just how large Jesus' servant heart was. It actually showed Jesus' greatness. You see, Peter, like the majority of people in our world, he had a skewed uh, idea of what greatness is, right? True greatness, it's not measured in how much fame and recognition and status and power you can amass for yourself. No, true greatness is measured by how much power and status you give away to seek the welfare of those who least deserve it. That's true greatness. The Gospel of Luke tells us that at some point during this meal where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, the disciples, they got in an argument, and they started arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus responded to their argument in this way. In Luke 22, 25 to 27, Jesus told his disciples, Look, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, on the contrary he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. And that's why after Jesus finished washing the disciples' feet with true greatness in his mind, he commanded his disciples in John 13, 13 through 17, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Why was Jesus the greatest king the world has ever seen? Because Jesus is the greatest servant the world has ever seen. Jesus gave up the most to meet the greatest need of those who deserved it the least. This is our king. Is he your king? So in our passage, Jesus shows us what true serving is. Look, he also shows us why it's important for us to engage in it. 
Jesus could have listed many reasons in our passage that I read to you, John 13, but I just want to hone in on three of them very quickly. Two are in the passage. One is just a little bit beyond the passage. So if you were to read the rest of John 13, you would come to it. So the first important reason why we need to engage in true service is to obey Jesus, first and foremost. John 13, 15 says, For I have given you an example, an example, this is Jesus speaking, that you should do as I have done to you. When we come to see and understand the drastic way in which Jesus served us, it creates in us a heart that wants to follow him, live for him, and obey his commands. And since he commands us to serve and engage in true service, then we're game for it, right? This is something we want to do. We have so much respect and admiration for Jesus that we want to follow in his footsteps. And so that's the first reason we should engage in service ourselves, is that we want to obey Jesus. The second reason is we will be blessed. Uh, after uh, commanding his disciples to serve, Jesus said in John, 13, John 13, 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus was saying, you can know all about serving people. You can know that you're supposed to serve people. You can preach about serving others. You can come up with ideas about serving other people. But until you actually do it, you're not going to experience the blessing that comes along with it. Talk about it all you want to, but until you do it, until you actually make it happen, that's when you experience seeing, that's when you experience the blessing. And this is such an upside down aspect of the kingdom of God uh, that you have to lose your life in order to find your life. The world, ain't, the world is not going to tell you that for sure. You have to lose your life. That is, give up your agenda, give up your rights and privileges and your status and your power to serve God and others. And guess what? You will actually find life, real life, abundant life. It's the upside down way of the kingdom of God. It's better to give than receive, right? Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Look, I think the reason why so many people in our world live such miserable lives is because they are so self-absorbed. They're always focused on their problems, right? Their issues, their concerns, their feelings, their preferences, their pain, their needs. I have noticed that with this coronavirus pandemic, it's actually energized a lot of people. And here's why. I believe they are tapping into, even though they don't even realize it, the upside down way of the kingdom of God. How so? Well, the crisis that we're in, right? I saw the same thing with 9-11. Has forced people to slow down, hasn't it? And it has forced people to really think about what's really important. People. And some people are actually now doing things to serve other people, right? Because there's not a lot they can do. Everything's been canceled. You can't even go out to eat right now at a restaurant. 
And so people are slowing down. They're trying to find ways to serve people. They're actually serving people and they're finding blessing and joy. They're finding that the upside down way of the kingdom of God, it actually works. They're tasting it. They're tasting in even a small way losing their life. And they find that they're finding their life in the process. Look, loving our neighbor with the same intensity by which we love ourselves is a blessed way to live. Third reason. So you need to obey Jesus. Look, you're gonna look, blessing will come. Thirdly, we this is why we need to engage in true service, is because so that the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. If you were to read beyond the, the, the portion of scripture that I read to you, Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we engage in true service, the world will notice. The world will notice. Because it is so rare a lot of times, right? Our, our world is so full with the opposite. And so when we Christians are engaging in true service and loving people, and we're not trying to grow our wealth and our brand and our platform and our following, and we're laying aside our preferences and desires and we're leveraging our status and power for the welfare of other people, people will take notice. And guess what? They're going to also notice the king that we serve. And some of those people will see the beauty of King Jesus through our service, and they'll want to know this servant king. So, look, Jesus shows us what true service is. He shows us why we need to engage in true service. He also shows us where we can get the strength to engage in true service. Because maybe you're you're listening and you're thinking like, I just don't know if I can really serve like Jesus. I don't have the strength for it. I don't have the energy for it. If I'm being honest, I really don't want to give up my rights and privileges. I don't want to let go of my agenda. I, I don't want to sacrifice my time and my finances. Do you know what Jesus' secret was? His secret is right there in John 13, 3. Right before he gets up from the table to wash the disciples' feet, check out what the scripture tells us. Jesus, John 13, 3 and 4, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid his garments, laid aside his garments, took a towel girded himself, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew that in a little while he would be back with God the Father in heaven. He knew that he was the beloved son of God the Father and whom God the Father was well pleased. Jesus' identity was rock solid. Um, in this loving relationship that he had with the Father. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. You see, because Jesus's significant satisfaction and security was so intact in his relationship with 
the, the, the God the Father, he could freely, he, he felt the freedom to let go of his rights and privileges, knowing that he would be ultimately taken care of. And so he had this freedom and felt the freedom to really serve and seek the welfare of other people. Look, the only way that we're really going to be able to serve people the way that Jesus did is if our identity is so secure in who Christ says that we are. Because we can, look, let me just give you one example. I'm going to talk more about this next Sunday, so you need to tune back in for this. If, say, our identity is all about how much money is in the bank, right? That's our identity. That's where we get our security from, our satisfaction from, our significance from, is having a certain amount of money in the bank. You think we're going to be generous with our money? No, because if we don't have it, we are nobody. And so we are going to hoard it. We are going to be stingy. We are going to be greedy. We're going to be worried all about it. And guess what? Do you think we're going to look at the poor well? No. They're nobodies. They don't have, they don't have money. Right? Just one example. We get the strength we need to truly serve once our identity is so uh, uh, secure in our relationship to, to, to our loving Savior, Jesus. And let me just say, last point here, this is what we should expect when we truly start living out the servant ways of Jesus. Jesus shows us in John 13 what we can expect. One word. Opposition. Opposition's going to come. Satan was working through Jesus to, or not Jesus, uh, Satan was working through Judas to oppose Jesus. It, it was happening. You know, the last thing Satan wants is for us serving the way that Jesus served. That's the last thing Satan wants. And so he's going to do whatever he can to stop us from doing it. He may even have a close friend turn against us, right? He may have her family turned against us. All of Jesus' family thought he was crazy for a good part of his ministry. But it's worth it. Because as we've discovered, it's the only way to really find real life. And so there you have it. Jesus shows us what true serving is, why it's important that we engage in it, where we can get the strength for it, and what we should expect when we actually do it. Let me just finish with two questions and one quick story that I think illustrates what we talked about this morning. Here are two questions I want to ask you. Have you, through repentance and faith, committed your life to serve the King that has so wonderfully, extraordinarily served you? And let me ask you this, as the world is all out of sorts due to this coronavirus, who is Jesus calling you to serve, to truly serve? Who is that for you? Let me share this story with you. So uh, I just came across this story here this last week. It's of, I read in the Los Angeles Times, it's of the basketball player Maya Moore. 
Um, if you don't know who she is, um, she is one of the greatest women's basketball players, female basketball players of all time. Um, so the news was that she has walked away from the WNBA in her prime. And the reason she has walked away from the WNBA, even though she's won uh, four WNBA titles, um, Sports Illustrated in 2017 named her the greatest winner in the history of women's basketball. She has two NCAA titles, four Final Four appearances, two Olympic gold medals. She was the only female um, athlete that has that was signed to the Jordan brand, and so she gave she gave it all up. And this is why, in the Players Tribune, she wrote this: There are different ways to measure success. The success that I've been a part of in basketball truly blows my mind every time I think about it. But the main way I measure success in life is something I don't often get to emphasize explicitly through pro ball. I measure success by asking, am I living out my purpose? I learned a long time ago that my purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. Some of you may know about the verse from the Bible that I include in my autographs, Colossians 3.23. I take the time to lead people with a little insight into who is the foundation of my approach, passion, and motivation. Whatever you do, work at, all, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. My announcement is about how I am shifting the focus to the whatever. My focus in 2019 will not be on professional basketball, but will instead be on the people in my family, as well as on investing my time in some ministry dreams that have been stirring in my heart for many years. So what ministry dream is Maya working on? Well, she's been at work now for a long time to free uh, this gentleman who back in 1998 was convicted of burglar, burglary and assault and sentenced to 50 years in prison despite uh, a lack of fingerprints, DNA, DNA evidence, and corroborating witnesses. Uh, and so in spite of not having all that, sentenced to 50 years in prison. So Maya Moore has been working on his release and it, they're getting closer than they ever, and than they have been. And they're getting closer and closer to his release. This, she was able to walk away from her professional basketball career because her identity wasn't in being a professional athlete. It was in Christ. And she is leveraging her power, her status, her influence to free people that have been wrongly accused and incarcerated. Um, man, what a, what a testimony of what we're talking about. This is the kind of heart that Jesus creates in people. May it be your heart.